0: This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions' three-part miniseries, Devout and Out. The show follows three LGBTQ individuals who have chosen to become or remain leaders in their respective churches. I've watched through this series twice, and it is easily one of the best series I've seen all year. It's smart, thought-provoking, conversation-launching, funny, heartwarming, and is going to show you a side of Canada you have never seen before. You can watch Devout and Out in Canada on the CBC Gem app or elsewhere in the world on YouTube. Enjoy. They're,
1: they're pulling two people out of a van. Oh my God, they're fighting. coupé les doigts avec ça.
0: Listen, you pervert. Why hang over to Lamba of
2: Pie? They could use a little
0: of this. This is the Royal Canadian Movie
2: Podcast.
0: Hey there and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I am your co-host today, Becky Shrimpton, and with me, once again, because we've fixed his Skype, is Mr. Cameron Maitland. Hey, dude.
2: I don't know that we actually fixed it. (laughs) I think it
0: just
2: (laughs) randomly started working again.
0: Did you give it like a proper kick and you were like, you work for (laughs) me?
2: I don't know. I just need a new computer. And someday I will get one <laughs> and stop saying that.
0: And perhaps if people donate to our Patreon, we might be able to get you a new computer and increase the oh my sound God. quality.
2: I think, I don't even know if there's that many Patreons in the world.
0: <laughs> to be fair, it is very expensive to purchase a computer. So you know what we should do? We should just go to a cabin in the middle of nowhere, work on our paintings, sell them for millions, put our toddlers in danger. It will be wonderful. I see,
2: I see what you did there. Yeah, I'm
0: very very, very clever. You should bring on our guest, and we should yes, appreciate okay. how clever I am, too. <laughs> uh,
2: our guest today is my longtime internet friend/slash first time talking to friend. Uh, she's an interdisciplinary artist and book designer who's based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. It's Emma Elaine. Hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> it's
1: funny. It's the first time I'm hearing, well, it's the first time you're hearing my voice, maybe but it's definitely not the first time I'm hearing your voice so that's a weird kind of
2: (laughs) yeah I do feel like I'm sure I've heard you kind of in the background of an Instagram story or something I'm sure I'm sure yeah 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 yeah.
0: okay hold on you guys have to fill me in on this how did this work I don't have friends on Twitter if this
1: concept is fascinating Uh, to me
2: I think we were Twitter friends first yeah definitely yeah and I don't really know how we came across each other
1: um followed each other
2: for a long time
1: yeah, I can't remember, but I know that it was our our internet friendship has been based on a shared love of many great comedy series, mostly. Yes. yeah. I think at the beginning it was mostly Children's Hospital, uh, yeah, and man. other things. Yeah,
2: so that shows yeah. how long we've been internet friends. Back yeah, <laughs> back when Children's <laughs> Hospital was relevant. But yeah, we kind of made it, we have mutual friends in real life too, which made it less weird to kind of be better internet friends. That's true. That's very yeah. True.
0: But I also love this because apparently you guys have similar senses of taste in spooky movies as well as comedy series so um i'm gonna be talking about children a lot today because man this movie <laughs> fucked me up thank you very much yeah <laughs> as someone who now lives with a five-year-old this was like aimed perfectly at my anxiety spot so thank you um, <laughs> emma what movie did you pick and why did you pick it
1: uh i picked the crescent which was directed by seth smith um i picked it partly because it was filmed in nova scotia not really uh very far from halifax in fact i think it was about an hour away uh mostly on a beach and uh it just not only feels like a very halifax movie it also um is kind of a representation of the art scene in halifax because uh the director seth smith along with his partner nancy who's a producer on the film um have a band called Dog Day. The main actor, Danica Vandersteen, is a, a local artist, and pretty much everyone else involved is involved with the either the music scene or the art scene somehow. A very special movie for Halifax, I think.
0: It's a very special movie, period. I have to say, yeah. I like everyone when I was reading reviews because this came out in 2017. It did the IFC, uh, or it was picked up by IFC Midnight Films and did the TIFF Midnight movie screening. Everyone was making Babadook comparisons. It's mm not it's not even close to what that yeah. is aside <laughs> the fact it's about a mother and child so yeah.
2: yeah yeah there's a lot of a lot of child screaming though that's that's always my <laughs> less screaming than most of those Baba duke ish movies but there's still a lot of child screaming <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> and definitely absolutely. best on the like single mother makes good sort
2: of yes, yeah yes.
0: descent mm-hmm. slow mm-hmm. to madness it's i loved this cam how did you feel about it
2: oh yeah yeah no i liked it a lot and i definitely like suggest people watch it before before listening to our talk, because we'll probably spoil things. And I also recommend, uh, which we'll probably get into, trying to see it, like, you know, turn off all your lights and turn up the sound and stuff, because it's a real, like, psychedelic experience in some ways, too.
0: This falls into mm-hmm. the same category for me as Trevor Juris' The Interior, where it was one totally, of those, like, yeah. if you watch it with all the lights on with a bunch of people, it's not going to be quite the same. But if we were in the middle of the dark, and, like, there's a thing outside the tent, and all of a sudden he opens the tent, and, like, the weird dude's face just comes in. Yeah. Emma, what is this movie about? We've kind of alluded to it. If you want to just walk us briefly through the plot, yeah, totally.
1: Uh, so, so it is about, I mean, hard to describe it from the beginning without giving away the ending because it's kind of all hinged on it, but uh, it's about a woman, Beth, uh, who arrives at her mother's house that's on the beach with her son Loen, and uh as they spend time in this house the residents of the beach who are perhaps neighbors or just you know live in the area or whatever i don't know start to interact with them and uh start to interact with them in very terrifying ways at some points it sort of has this claustrophobic stuck in a house vibe well also sometimes they go to the beach which just seems like an extension of the house I'm not sure if I, at this point, should give away the ending, but...
0: I think the ending is up for debate, because I'm still not entirely clear on what happened, and I think it's completely debatable, Mm. and I love movies like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs)
1: Yeah. A I mean a, a,
2: a man turns into a crab for sure. Yep, yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> That definitely <laughs> happens. Yeah, so the whole the whole movie you're kind of trying to figure out is this like a, the afterlife is this some type of purgatory, is this a real space, but there's some psychedelia happening or, you know, some type of dreamland feeling. Um, it feels very disconnected from reality, but with glimpses of reality and of the past. I feel like at the end, it's not confusing anymore. I feel like I, it, it did kind of make sense, although it is pretty stylized, I guess.
0: It does a really good job. I think the the thing I'm most confused about is the final shot. Not confused, more like I think it's very debatable of the final shot of what that actually means. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm very excited to get into that. But first, let's talk about the soundtrack because, uh, Emma, you love this soundtrack so I do. much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I was telling Cam a couple of days ago that, uh, so the soundtrack was also written by Seth Smith, who directed it, and... and um, I love his band Dog Day. Um, If you haven't listened to them, they're amazing. Um, And I think they're working on a new album, which is awesome. Uh, But he wrote the soundtrack and then there's a couple like Dog Day tracks in it, which uh, Nancy uh, sings on in some of them. So that's like a lot of fun happening there. But they released it on Bandcamp and I ended up listening to to it so many times that uh, it like blocked me from listening to it anymore, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which I didn't know could happen so I was like oh you know what it's only seven dollars I yeah it's fair I'll just buy it um so now I listen to it I've listened to it a couple times while I've been like on planes or traveling and it's like pretty ambient and I don't know it's just like it's good like white noise while still being kind of moody and yeah, I actually listen to it a lot.
0: The opening scenes of this film are marbling. She does this marbling technique with paint, which is very cool and makes for a very neat visual experience. And in the very opening bits, you're watching her marble things. And you're just everything's focused on that while this like very wow, wow, wow sort of sound mm-hmm. goes over top of it. And it's super freaky, like super freaky. And it makes you think of like, um, you know, dreamscapes. And when there's like the reds and stuff, it's very visceral. And you're like, OK, I'm looking at like the inside of kidneys. All I could think about was if this had, like, a jaunty ukulele soundtrack, this would totally be the opening for a 70s kids' show.
1: Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It has a really great aesthetic. Um, And I think that, like, I don't know if marbling has ever been used as, like, an aesthetic link in a movie but uh yeah I don't know it really works <laughs> and it, probably people are gonna try to repeat it
0: it totally does well I, st- I went down a rabbit hole because I was like okay where has this really been used on film before like I mean in the 60s and 70s you were seeing a lot of the psychotropic stuff um and there was mm-hmm. a filmmaker in the 40s 50s and early 60s called Jordan Belson who would create these suitly spiraling meditative images with these electronic sounds especially in the early days of electronic sounds and they would project them in planetariums and they were meant to be spiritual and and meditative and sort of like lull you into stuff he also made the special effects for the right stuff but all I could think of was like okay this is totally a technique that's being borrowed from this and I kind of want to see more of it in my movies of like how do you affect a mood and like make people feel things with these visuals and then tie it into a narrative
1: yeah absolutely and it's really cool so that it's it's a practical effect like that you know the marbling is really happening but although they're in a couple times like a couple cases they're like layering it I would, you know, twice or three times over itself. So it like looks more complex, but it's not, you know, digital graphics. It's like, it's being created through the process of marbling um, that is used for paper marbling, which is also something I know a lot about. (laughs) (laughs) How do you know a lot about that? I have training as a bookbinder and uh, paper marbling is a bookbinder's technique. So um, it fits into the like sort of decorative arts that have to do with bookbinding because paper marbling is something that's done for books.
0: Huh. Now, how many people do you think have been horribly attacked with marbling rakes? Because was, as, soon as, as soon as I saw them pull it out, I was like, oh, this is a Chekhov's marbling rake. When are we going to oh see this God. used on someone?
1: I feel like maybe zero, except for mm-hmm. if you count this movie, you know, it's like I just feel it's like a very funny weapon to use because also it like, kind of sticks in his skull. Uh, which I feel like isn't a very good weapon, necessarily. <laughs> it's hard to retrieve.
0: It's not efficient. Uh, Cam, what no. did you think of the marbling and the marbling weapon?
2: Oh, I mean, weapon-wise, I probably agree with you. It's not so great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's as good as any other uh, piece of wood with a nail through it, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, the marbling was very cool. And and it definitely was interesting because when the film began, I just thought it was a uh, like a psychedelic image, not... Because I mean, that that is pretty much the technique they used to do for psychedelic stuff, to, like oil and dyes. yeah, so, yeah, for it to then be a legitimate part of it was very cool. And then they also pushed it beyond like, you know, you eventually get the weird marbled people. I don't mind a movie full of psychedelic images, like I guess, like the recent example would be mandy sort of, mm-hmm. but i I do like when it has to do with the narrative. You know, it was a lot of it was ocean related or, or the marbling related. And, and that was kind of nice to all make it tie into itself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I also think the, the marbling on skin was really awesome. Um, I mean, maybe this is like very nerdy marbling information, but, um, I can tell from what they were doing that they're using acrylics, um, which like I use kind of a water-based pigment and it does not marble on your skin. Like I tried to make a joke, Mm. I think on Instagram where I like marbled my hand and I was going to be like... This is just like on the Crescent, but uh, it didn't work. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) I think they they use like a special, uh, like water, not water-based, like acrylic-based marbling just so that they could marble on skin. And I think it looks awesome.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions. For over 15 years, the team at Archipelago have been making groundbreaking and award-winning films, television, and corporate video for brands like Google, Netflix, Etsy, Time Magazine, and the University of Toronto. Visit archipelagoproductions.ca to find out how they can help you elevate and execute your next video project. Seth A. Smith uh, uses his and Nancy's actual child in this. Woodrow plays Loan the little boy. I am not a parent, but I have a five-year-old in my life. Uh, I know Cam is not a parent. Uh, how about you, no. Emma? What's your child relations? Going to be, though, I, yeah,
1: no worries. Uh, I am not a parent, nor do I really have any children in my life right now. So, uh, I, yeah, I <laughs> can't don't know anything about parenting
0: now this was written specifically to be a horror film for parents and prey on that particular kind of anxiety and i certainly found it triggered those things for me how did it affect you guys or did you just have an overall like let's not hurt children kind of feeling which is normal for most humans
2: <laughs> yeah yeah i think that uh, just the general and actually I, I think compared to a lot of the uh like Baba Duke ish movies. There was kind of a trend of these ones, like under the shadow. And what was the other one? Um, Good night, mommy, I guess mm. where like the kids are a real handful. I felt like this kid was a very normal handful, you know, Yeah. like it was annoying, but annoying in the way that a single parent would find it annoying, you know, not a, uh, not over the top. So, so you did, I feel like I cared more about this kid compared to the Duke kid who I think I wanted to murder. <laughs> <laughs> that kid was just, yeah, I feel like I agree. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel a similar way. And also I think, I mean, even if you don't have kids, you know what it's like to care for something like, you know, other people in your life or uh, pets. In my case, I have uh, animals Uh, having this kind of like burden, but also like, you know, being that you love and having to take care of them and having to like uh, cope with the reality of having to maybe like let go of being able to take care of them in this case. Um, I think you can empathize with that, even if you don't have kids. And so I did find it very stressful to watch this. (laughs) Uh, For me,
0: I think I just get so upset when I watch children having to deal with adult depression. And mm-hmm. that there there's so many moments in this where like you're watching him ask if she's okay and she's clearly not okay. But how do you explain that level of complexity of emotion to a two-year-old? Um mm-hmm. and even watching the way she attempts to explain death to him with like the concept of the cat and is, is interesting to watch that kind of adult child relationship on film of understanding deeper intellectual emotionalism, which is very disturbing and very sad, but also an important part of humanity. And how much is he going to remember that at the age of two, aside from the fact that, you know, he's been left to his own devices for three days?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And does a surprisingly good job of taking care of himself, I must say. Oh
0: man! It's like I am <laughs> like for a kid,
1: yeah. Well, he's yeah. two,
0: and this is quite pro- possibly like the smartest two-year-old I think I've ever seen. Like he's yeah. very articulate. He asks the right yeah. questions. He knows how to operate a step stool. That's yeah. impressive. Mm. Yeah, he
1: knows what's food inside the cupboard. Like he didn't get like you know a bag of like. Uncooked rice or something, you know? He like, I mean, it's chocolate chips. Rat poison. Yeah, yeah exactly.
2: Um, yeah, I also think that there's something to be said that this, because this movie does do the fairly rare thing of having the kid alone. Like, eventually, the the kid becomes the main character mm-hmm. for a bit of it, which is kind of unusual. So that kind of helps me relate a bit more to it as well compared to those other ones where you're just, the kid is just a burden or just a, like, metaphor.
0: They do a really great job of um, having moments of danger for the kid that don't seem overblown. It's not like Pet Cemetery where, like, the child is actively walking in front of a major truck going through. It's little things mm. like, you know, when the, the cup breaks on the ground and you see the tiny feet coming down and you're like, glass, glass, broken children feet, you <laughs> know, and just so many tiny tiny dangers that are there when you're that small and that vulnerable and what they can possibly be. And then when you get to the end and you find out what happened, it's like they were just out for the day. This could have been, yeah. he wanted them to go faster. That's it's these tiny little dangers.
1: Yeah. The part where he, uh he finds the tricycle in the closet and he's yeah. just like, like going back and forth on the landing towards the stairs is like the most tense moment that like also feels very real.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's not a like horror movie moment at all. It's just a yeah. <laughs> I mean, other than a ghost, maybe giving him the tricycle. Like that—that <laughs> yeah. that, that could totally happen. Yeah,
0: this is also one of the one of the horror films I've the first horror films I've seen in a long time that doesn't rely at all on jump scares. All of it is just building dread and building dread. And in that, you get. I mean, it's not gonna be for everybody, there's no question, it's very, very slow. But there's just such a building of tension and dread as like, you see the way they interact and they become more and more human and more and more people to you. And then the Joseph character, the man with the beard comes in who turns into the crab later, because of course he does. Um, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, this is definitely an invasion of this. And the minute he opens his mouth, you're like, this isn't right, there's something wrong, you need to, you need to get out of there now. But is he really the bad guy? What is the bad guy? Is there a bad guy? Like, like, it's just, it's so bizarrely constructed in a way outside that we're not used to in horror that just makes it so freaking effective.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. Sure. <laughs>
0: so, uh,
2: yeah, I agree. I, the the building of tension is very good because it's, it's, it's a movie where there's not even necessarily scares outside of what you're talking about where, like, the kid is kind of going off on his own for, like, almost 45 minutes. I think it's one of those ones where I checked like I don't think the cat, which is kind of the first supernatural element, the super creepy dead cat, <laughs> uh, shows up till like till like 45 minutes in of a 90 minute movie. So yeah, you're you're like not dealing with real horror stuff. It it could just be spooky, or even like you don't even know what kind of horror it is, right? Like you're saying, you're it could be at first you're just she might be stalked or something. The weird doorbell stuff. Is like all, it's I I don't know what to even call it. It's like like practical scares. Like -hmm. everything ends up having a, a rational explanation up to a certain point. So it's kind of interesting that it takes that long, but it does such a good job of drawing you into the story for something that moves so slow. Because normally, I think I, I, that could lose me, or I could end up looking at my phone or something. But I think all the switches to the psychedelic imagery, and also the score, and also just you trying to figure out what the movie is saying at all, really works well.
1: I mean, I personally really like slow movies, and I know that they're not always the most popular. But um, I like really pensive things, so I was like very okay with that. I also think the visuals just like draw you through it, and the sound, like even uh outside of the score like the sound editing was really nice like there are moments where uh joseph who's the crab man his like voice sounds like it's almost um been like amplified so that it's like where is it coming from or is it like maybe it's coming from like deep inside of his like hermit crab shell or something you know it's like i think there's a lot of little touches like that and uh the doorbell is also weird because it's not a normal doorbell like it's not, not a ding dong sound it's like a terrifying like death sound and yeah. that's like one of the scariest parts of the movie in my opinion is like the idea of waking up in the middle of the night and your doorbell's ringing well yeah.
0: i mean you look outside and there's a killer clown so it's one of those things <laughs> yeah. But, um yeah apparently this idea came from like it's, it's a horror film for parents but it came from the idea that apparently seth a smith uh they lived in a, a, a house when he was a child similar to what what the what you see in the film and when he was three or four he used to sleepwalk and he actually sleptwalked into the ocean at one point Um, And he was fine, but like, he's always kind of kept that with him. And I'm like, I can't even imagine. That's just terrifying.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's
0: horrifying. But he's just such a fascinating filmmaker and a lateral thinker. So I watched the trailer of his first one of his first films, Low Life, which is about a couple who are addicted to licking starfish for their psychotropic effects. Um, Mm -hmm. And the entire thing is in black and white. And I'm watching this and I'm watching the visuals. and They're very interesting, but they remind me so much of Mark Burchard's uh, imagery from the American movie guy and it's very much an experimental film and like not everybody's going to watch it's going to play at very short run theaters and then you see this and it's it's still full of like these very poignant visual images he's using aspect ratios in really interesting ways that are very affecting um, the marbling is very cool the soundtrack's amazing but there's still a narrative structure to it you can follow along to and there's a certain quality in in production value that makes it more accessible and his next film coming out has Michael Ironside and one of the leads from Shadow Hunters in it that looks even more like narratively, uh, narratively cohesive and not quite as experimental. So I'm wondering what leads a filmmaker to 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 have that sort of journey, to like go from like super like David mm. Lynchian almost from like going from a head to like wild at heart.
1: Mm-hmm. I wonder, um, from like a Nova Scotian perspective, uh like I you know, I'm really looking forward to Tin Can, the upcoming movie. Um, but I know that all, like, because my, so a friend of mine, Paul Hammond, was the production designer on The Crescent. And um, I've talked to him a little bit about the production of the uh, of the film and everything. Um, and it sounds like every film is a, quite a small crew. And despite effects and everything, it's, um, it's quite a small group of people that are doing it. Um, and I kind of wonder, a few years ago, the uh, film, like, credit I can't I don't know exactly the information but uh, a lot of the funding for film was cut in Nova Scotia mm. and so we lost like a ton of our our funding and so then therefore people stopped filming here yeah. which is awful for all the people who actually like, go through the NASCAD film department and um, and then come out and you know have these jobs and stuff I had to end up like moving to BC essentially because that was like the only remaining spot that you could get film jobs in Canada where it used to be a pretty big industry out here so I kind of wonder, like coming from the art community, I can understand, like starting with art films, but then wanting to like with your whatever resources they have, contribute back to the Nova Scotia film department, like you know the uh, the industry out here, the Nova Scotia film industry.
0: How many um, people are going to stay and continue? Because I mean, you got people like Jason uh, Jason Eisner who are just killing it. Um, mm-hmm. So you wonder how much more, you know, because is he going to stay there and continue to produce stuff, kind of like Cronenberg stays in Toronto?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it like really is so appreciated and so welcome when people stay in Nova Scotia at all. <laughs> um, I know that from experience, like, you know, I'm from Toronto, I came out here to go to NASCAD and uh, I'm staying in Halifax and like everyone's always like, that's so great. I'm so happy. So <laughs> do the idea of stay- not only staying here, but like, like as a creative who is like you know, at this point, at least, like nationally, if not internationally, recognized, sticking around here and contributing to the culture and to the film industry out here is like is so welcome.
0: And it's just such a unique place to be. Like, if there is nothing that looks like Nova Scotia. It's so specific. absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it also has this very specific sense of humor. That's why we have Codco. <laughs> you know, <Like> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, you think about how many comedians have come from the Maritimes, and you're like, yeah, totally. it's because it's a very unusual sense of uh, sense of view and point of view um okay we got to get to the ending and quickly talk about the ending oh spoiler god, yeah. alert go watch this movie it's on amazon prime for the love of god it's great here we go what happens in those last few seconds
2: <laughs> i mean i'm starting to think i don't remember the last few seconds i thought they just got in a boat crash at the end oh no
0: you didn't see the last <laughs> I think that's little what happens.
2: i might just forget it i guess i don't know i watched it five days
0: ago oh okay so yeah so they get into the boat crash and it's her that's dead not him yeah. and lowen is in a coma but at the very mm-hmm. end lowen um may or may not come out of the coma or may just die altogether. and maybe leave oh, yeah. that ambiguous and i don't a, know
2: yeah i think i thought he is coming out of the coma doesn't he like say something but afterwards it's black or something he doesn't say yeah. something
0: he just jolts yeah. and then and like and then he says low and then it goes dark so he either she either could have mm. killed him or she could have sent him back and i don't know which one she did because you're dealing with someone with depression who's like did i want to keep him for myself and if i kept mm. him for myself isn't he now going to be here with me or do i send him back to his dad
2: okay mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I don't know the rules of this purgatory. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't want to comment on on this magical world.
1: Yeah. Uh, My reading of it was definitely that he came out of the coma. So I guess my reading of the whole film, especially because this was, I mean, this was the second time I was watching it. My reading of it is that uh, Loan and Beth were both in a coma um, in this kind of like purgatory state. And I noticed this time around that, they had a funny relationship with sleeping where she slept a lot more than he did. And he seemed to be like up and running around a lot of the time, which is maybe not typical for like a two year old. Um, And I was kind of wondering if that was an indication that he was like coming out of the coma through the movie, you know, that he was like, he was sleeping less. Um, Maybe that's just me interpreting it that way with my art school brain. Yeah. I definitely feel that like, while she was dead, I mean, Joseph says it directly like she's not coming back like she's gone but he has the possibility of coming out of it and I really like to believe that she sent him back into the real world.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I would like that too because I mean at the end she kind of reconciles herself to being the proper mother right like to be to give yeah. him the care he actually needs and he will he needs to actually live his life. hmm. it's it's so painful and so beautiful and so well done uh that having been said word favorite moments guys
2: I think mine is probably just what we kind of mentioned where the cat is like tempting him down the stairs that was just such a nice tense moment and creepy creepy evil cat
1: yeah that cat looks like it's like 50 years old (laughs) yeah uh i think my favorite part is the beginning when they drive in like a what seems like a never-ending spiral Mm. because sort of they start at the church and then go towards the house and then there's like this really weird moment where it's like it's almost like shining-esque where it's like you've definitely driven more than a full circle at this point out the car window and so it's like they're like going like it's almost like they're descending into I mean, maybe it's hell. Who knows? <laughs> like they're just sending it into some afterlife or something. I think that's like a, that touch really kind of disarms you from the beginning.
0: Huh? Uh, yeah, I'm totally there with you. And I love the I love the fact that he he's so aware of how cameras work that he can create those disorienting effects.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ugh.
0: Um, I love that there's a credit for deep sea acoustics for David Barclay. I love that that's a credit that makes me very happy. Um, yeah. I I really love the um, the moment where she is smashing his head in. I think that's so cool looking, um, and they did a really great job with that. And uh, I also love the fact that she's smashing a pumpkin and apparently had a great time doing that. Um, <laughs> I loved that they all lived in a house together for the entire time that they they filmed this, and uh, and that Lowen uh, the character. And played by Woodrow, would a carrot uh, uh, just like look at her and be like, Yeah, you're not my mom. My mom is like right over there. <laughs> and that they could only do things in single takes because they would have to just like set him up and have him go and like mm. hope that he would go in the direction that he would need him to, to go. And Danica would do the whole scene and kind of lead him through the scene. And they would just have to hope they would get the, the shot they needed and then edit around it. And I think that's really cool. And I've never seen a show use a two year old the way it has so effectively and horribly. So that's great. I just think it's I just I loved this so much. Thank you so much for bringing it. I will not sleep again.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, no problem. Also, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. I this is, this it.
0: happens quite often. <laughs> 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 All right, we are at the end. Uh, Emma, how do people find you and your work?
1: Well, my Twitter is uh, at Madon. Um, I'm not going to explain why, but it's M U H D A W N. Um, if you want to see some of my melodramatic t- tweets, uh, my Instagram is e.elaine, A-L-L-A-I-N. And, uh, my website's also eelaine, Um, is. yeah, I think that's all of it.
0: <laughs> Great. How about you, Cam?
2: Uh, I'm just at CamFest on Twitter. That's probably the best place to find me. Uh, and yeah, all my other written stuff is at hollywoodsweet.ca.
0: Fantastic. And as per usual, you can find me on the Twitters at LeShrimpton. That's the masculine LeShrimpton the over there. I think we may or may not have mentioned that we have a Patreon. So if you're liking the work that we're doing and want to keep it going, shoot us a donation. We are very happy to have them. Any and all donations welcome. Uh, otherwise, come visit us on Twitters at RCMPod. We're happy to chat with you. I think that's just about everything. So guys, do you want to go get a moose head? <laughs> yes. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCMPod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.